Hello, everybody who has joined us. Uh, you're all very welcome to today's session, which is part of the HCI webinar series. My name is Una Gilvari, and I am the Chief Research Officer in HCI. So today, the plan for this webinar is, uh, is to look at some of the findings from the UK Parliamentary and Health Service Ombudsman Report. And that this report considers patient safety learnings arising from the analysis of a number of avoidable deaths, and then considers some of the broader clinical failings that arose that related to these, and more linked to that, the compounded harm inflicted due to the service's response to these events. So with that, just for those of you who may not have uh, have worked with us to date, uh, we at HCI help providers of health and social care services to make intelligence driven decisions to attain, manage and improve quality, safety and regulatory compliance. And we do this through streamlining, improving and transforming internal processes with a focus on safe quality service for your service users. We're over 17 years in business and have two offices in Galway and Dublin with over 25 staff. And to date, we've supported over 600 health and social care services um, to drive their safe quality care. So the very first thing we do at all of these webinars is, first of all, I suppose, to ask ourselves, why are we here? Why are we looking at this report and why is, is it important for us? Well, for any health and social care provider, the occurrence of an uh, unintended or unintended unexpected incident which could have or may have had led, led to harm for patients this is obviously of of primary concern and just in relation to the background data that's available within the nhs as we're pulling it from to, to for our learnings basis for today they estimate that there's an uh, there's approximately 11000 avoidable deaths every year in the nhs due to patient safety safety failings and and thousands more um, where patients are seriously harmed now, I suppose a link to that and, and of, a, of, a, of a great concern is that the latest NHS staff survey within it, nearly 40% reported that they did not feel safe to speak up about patient safety concerns within their organisation. And less than half of the staff survey uh, surveyed felt confident that the organisation would address their concern were they to raise it. Now, I suppose it's important for the background of all the information that we present today that is presented within the report that we're going to be looking at. I mean, limited resources directly impacts uh, both on the frequency and, and the severity of patient safety incidents. Um, and that lack of resources is certainly identified as an underlying point within all of the information that's provided today. And we can see the, the latest data from the NHS England shows that there's more than 8,000 doctor vacancies and more than 40,000 nursing vacancies across the NHS, which is very significant and obviously will directly impact on some of the presentation information that we have today. So first of all, just to have a look at the authors of uh, the report we're going to look at, the Parliamentary and Health Service Ombudsman. Uh, their role is to investigate and make final decisions on complaints that have not been resolved by the NHS in England, UK government departments or other public organisations. And in certain cases within those investigations, they can make recommendations to try and put things right for the individuals that are involved. And on the basis of the information that they're collating, they regularly share insight from their casework to try and improve public services and specifically complaint handling. 
So within that, their role also includes highlighting failures in systems and failures to follow guidance that's already out there, uh, particularly in relation to complaints, to try and further learning uh, from issues that have arisen. So from that, from that role, the Broken Trust Report was developed, and that was just released in June of this year. And I suppose the, the premise of the whole report is asking what much, how, how much more can be done or what is, is the best steps to take to try and close the gap between those very ambitious patient safety objectives, which have been set throughout the NHS and certainly within, uh, within uh, the HSE and in our own uh, Irish prefix, um, looking at the difference between those objectives and the reality of frontline practice. So the methodology that they applied in relation to the report, they analyzed 22 clinical cases for common themes where they had found that a death was avoidable. And these were all pretty recent. These, these uh, would have all have been closed out over the last three years. So to investigate the background, they completed a full documentation review of everything uh, in relation to each of these cases and where required or where there was gaps in knowledge, in-depth interviews were also held with the families that were involved. So there are two primary sections or two main focuses in relation to this report. The first is looking at the broad themes relating to the clinical failings that were identified within these 22 um, avoidable deaths. So this is where the PS, uh, PHSO looked at the direct causes for harm. Um, and, and then of that, of the four broad themes, they found there was a failure in many cases to make the right diagnosis. They found failure or delays in providing treatment. They found poor handovers between clinicians and a failure to listen to the concerns of patients or their families. So we're going to look in detail at those um, within the body of the webinar. But linked to these broad themes, the second element of the report is looking at compounded harm. And that's harm that happens when patients or when families are trying to understand what has happened to their loved ones, but they're met with a poor response from the healthcare organization. And, and they identified a number of contributory factors. First of all, they, they found that there was a failure to be honest in certain cases when things go wrong. They found a lack of support to navigate the systems that are already available to, should be available to families within the services after an incident arises. They found very poor quality investigations uh, implemented post um, an, an avoidable death. They found there was a failure to respond to complaints in a timely and compassionate way, inadequate apologies were given, and also unsatisfactory learning responses by the services following the occurrence of the incidents. So we're going to look in detail at each of those. So we'll look first at those broad themes in relation to clinical failings and look at some of the examples provided by the PHSO um, to underline those findings. So the first, the failure to make the right diagnosis. And they found in this case, more than half of those uh, clinical cases investigated that there was a failure to, to diagnose that that failure led directly or significantly contributed to the avoidable death of a patient. And they found that these were mainly the result of either not seeking a more senior or specialist input where they felt it was uh, appropriate. Uh, there was a failure to observe or monitor somebody at a regular at regular enough intervals to recognize deteriorating health or new issues that were arising for that patient, and that there were failings in imaging, such as failings uh, in following up on an unexpected finding. 
So some of the examples that they illustrated this uh, this element of it, they found in one case a patient's uh, new score showed clearly that that the patient was very unwell and should have been reviewed by a more senior clinician with the required knowledge and experience to diagnose and treat him while his condition was deteriorating. However, that did not happen. And when the con patient's condition did deteriorate, the service again delayed asking for an urgent review again when it was evident that he was very unwell. The service failed to recognize the patient as sepsis and did not give him the right treatment and therefore the patient suffered cardiac arrest and died. And the PHSO in the analysis of this case, they found that if that patient had been reviewed, uh, reviewed by a more ex ex experienced clinician and in a timely manner, that in more likely or not, he would have survived. A second example was where a man was admitted to ED with chest pains. His condition again deteriorated, but staff didn't carry out the observations frequently enough to be able to identify that deterioration. And this resulted in a missed opportunity uh, to notice the patient's health failing due to sepsis and, and to involve critical care. And it delayed that diagnosis and treatment for over 10 hours. And again, the PHSO found that if that patient had been monitored appropriately, um, then his worsening health may have been identified. He may have received the treatment. And again, more likely or not, he would have survived. The second of those broad themes related to delays in providing treatment. And they found that these delays often related to a diagnosis uh, being made, but it wasn't being acted upon um, or, or, or responded to quickly enough. The first example is where a service appropriately and quickly diagnosed a woman with vasculitis, which obviously required urgent treatment. The service didn't prescribe the medication needed, even though she was diagnosed for 16 hours after that diagnosis. And even after prescribing the medication, the service did not give it to the patient for 11 hours. So that was significantly, that's 27 hours of life-saving treatment that was significantly delayed. And again, PHSO found that that patient could have survived if given the correct medication in time and that her death could have been avoided. Another example, an on-call doctor that did not attend when requested to, um, they found the PHSO found that the way that he was contacted via the bleep did not include information about the urgency of a request. And this is something that has come up in a number of reviews in relation to this. And they, look, they detailed that they the service explained that the system doesn't have any sign of or doesn't give any sign of urgency unless the doctor is being called to a cardiac arrest. And they highlighted that this is a real uh, problematic system as it doesn't allow clinicians to prioritize their patients' needs. And it undermines the benefits of those early warning systems like the news if clinicians are not meaningfully empowered to act in response. Poor handover is another one of the broader clinical findings. Um, obviously, good communication between clinicians and appropriate handover between teams is recognized by the PHSO as being an essential part of patient safety. And this uh, good requirement for good communication and handovers is underlined by the, the NHS within the NHS. The, the, the guidance that supports it is the General, General Medical Council guidance. Uh, for doctors, it stresses the importance of working collaboratively, communicating effectively, and sharing information within teams. And that's also supported uh, in in relation to the Nursing and Midwifery Council Code of Practice, which also highlights that need to maintain effective communication when sharing the care of individuals and that timely and appropriate handovers occur. 
But however, in almost half of the cases analyzed, the PHSO found failings in communications between different clinicians and teams, which had a significant impact on the outcomes. Some of the examples, the PHSO couldn't find any evidence that a service followed a clear and coordinated clinical management plan when a man in his 70s attended the ED with a twisted bowel. They found that poor communication between teams contributed significantly to the failing to take urgent action for this patient and to risk reduce the risk of bowel perforation. In another case, the PHSO couldn't find any evidence of any documented handover between teams, which meant that the PHSO couldn't really understand what actions the service had taken at the time to make sure that the patient continued to receive adequate care. The fourth and final one of the broad clinical failings uh, relates to the failure to listen to concerns of patients or their families. And, you know, again, PHSO recognized that listening to patients and their families is obviously a vital part of providing good quality care and treatment that puts the patient front and center of the service provided. In uh, the PHSO in this instant identified a small number of cases where failures to listen to the concerns of patients had a clinical impact. This example, a man who was, uh, who was admitted to hospital with abdominal pain, he raised a number of concerns with the clinical staff on multiple occasions about his care and treatment. And during the investigation, it was found that he communicated and that he was very concerned that he didn't feel well enough uh, to leave hospital. But despite this, the service considered him well enough to go home and discharged him on his same day of presentation. Two days later, he returned to hospital and died shortly after uh, being admitted for gastric aspiration. The investigation found that the service, with the information that was available to them and the communications by the patient, should have carried out an urgent CT scan, which could have left, led to the patient receiving life-saving surgery. A second example a complainant described how he was he tried to persuade staff to admit his mother after she had attended emergency department a multiple of times. They found evidence that the staff had doubted the patient's uh, symptoms and had failed to appreciate the serious nature of her condition. However, the complainant detailed that they could clearly see his mother was very unwell. The complainant's mother died shortly after a final admission uh, where she had had a stroke. And again, the PHSO found that that could have been avoided if she was diagnosed correctly and treated during an earlier presentation. So those four themes, I mean, they're, they're wide ranging, but they're certainly very familiar to anyone who has experience in patient safety. And in fairness, the, the PHSO, they recognize that although a lot can be done to reduce clinical harm and to improve patient safety, it's really unrealistic to expect that all clinical errors and emissions can be eliminated. However, they feel that it should always be possible to respond well with compassion and in a way that shows learning and accountability when avoidable harm has happened. And that links to our next section, which looks at that compounded harm and some of the evidence from the casework about the impact on families when this doesn't occur. So that compounded harm, the first one to look at here is in relation to services failing to be open and honest when things go wrong. And obviously within the NHS, they have their duty of candor, which requires organizations to be open and honest with patients as soon as possible after they realize something has gone wrong. But they found that this duty was not always met within services. In one case, the PHSO investigated where a baby had died after antibiotics were not given quickly enough. 
important details about the sequence of events that had occurred and the nature of the infection uh, were not given to the parents until seven weeks after their son had died. More, uh, more frighteningly or more worryingly that the staff, it was evidence that they, they found evidence that the staff even discussed deleting a record that was made during a meeting when the parents had temporarily just stepped out of the room because they realized what they had said might have gotten the service into difficulty. And obviously this complete failure of transparency created understandably understandable mistrust and worsened the pain and distress of the family in their grief. The second relates to the lack of support to navigate the systems that are already available within the service in the aftermath of an incident, be that a complaints or a process or a serious incident investigation. Um, the PHSO interviewed affected individuals who spoke about the difficulties they had knowing how to raise concerns or issues about what happened to a family member following an avoidable death or a death of their of their loved one. In one case, a lack of information, uh, a complaint related to a lack of information. One complainant explained that they didn't get any information with regard to letting people know about their experience or how they felt about their mum's care. They had literally had to do it all by themselves. Another commented, nobody gave me any information at all. I went online and Googled what to do and that was it. Nobody gave me advice on how to complain or what to say or anything like that. Poor quality investigations takes up a, a significant chunk of the report and they found that in many cases, organizations that should be providing clear evidence-based explanations in response to concerns and providing reasons for their decisions, um, is just it just wasn't being done. And they weren't considering the impact of these failings um, throughout the service. So they, the PHSO say that they routinely see these services fail to accept the errors or the extent to what has happened and its impact. In most cases where the PHSO found a death was avoidable, the service had not conducted a serious incident investigation or that the service did not reach the same conclusion as the PHSO, that being that their errors led to the death of a patient, even though those services had access to the same evidence as the PHSO. So the same information was available and they felt that the, PHS, the PHSO felt that there was not the approach within the service, um, that objective approach, analyzing the data appropriately, looking at the system's failings and reaching the conclusions um, that the PHSO had reached. In one case, after delaying its response by a whole year, the service responded to a complaint about her mother's death by summarizing just what was said in a, in a meeting between the service and the complainant. And they saw no evidence that the service had ever conducted a full investigation into the complaints concerned or had attempted to address them in any detail. They also found that some investigations were certainly not as thorough as they should be and that crucial parts were being missed out within those investigations. For example, in this case where a senior uh, an SHO had failed to attend when bleeped, that was obviously a significant moment uh, in trying to understand the failings in the care and treatment. But that SHO was never called for interview or was never part of the serious investigation uh, that followed. The failure to respond to complaints in a timely and compassionate way. Um, you know, we would always say that a complaint is a gift to, to some degree where we're trying to take the learnings from it. And it gives the organization a chance to look into the concerns and where needed to try and put them right, things right. 
but the PHSO detailed that they frequently see examples of unacceptable and unreasonable delays in responding to complaints and failures to keep families informed of the updated progress of their cases. I mean, in many cases with those serious incident reviews, and they can be very complicated and take a significant amount of time. Um, but it's really important that where we have time delays or lags, that the that the that the the families are kept well informed and up to date about these uh, changes in timelines. So they found that these delays and failings in communication often caused even more distress and frustration, understandably, for complainants and their families at, a, at an already difficult time. In one case, a man who complained about the treatment of his wife following her death from a brain tumour had to wait two years for the service to conclude its investigation, and they found that that was unacceptable. Treating complainants with dignity and compassion is obviously an essential part of resolving the complaint. But again, the PHSO found instances where organisations had failed to do this. In one of the complaint interviews, a mother whose son had died of, a, of an embolism detailed, at some point, a doctor from the service phoned my other son to tell him that his brother would have died anyway. And there was really no point in carrying on with this. The same compl complainant told us that the service, they just weren't interested. It was over, it was done with, and they certainly didn't want to know. That certainly reflects their response in that regard. Inadequate apologies. The PHSO found organisations had failed to give a genuine apology in many cases. Organisations may say sorry and accept failings that have happened, but it's very rare that they offer a clear and unreserved apology that showed they had understood the impact of the failings on the patient. And obviously there is a culture of defensiveness um, and that had filtered through uh, throughout the, the, the service and they felt that staff were in a situation that they weren't allowed to say sorry. Advocates had also raised with the PHSO that they often see that organisations send apology letters that say, I'm sorry if you felt that rather than offering a sincere apology in that regard. Unsatisfactory learning responses and all of the work that is done in relation to complaints review and incidents and serious incident review, it is all about trying to identify learning. But they found, and, and they found that most complainants really they want assurance that something is going to be done to try and prevent the same mistakes from happening again. And in their recent research for motivations on complaining, they found that 93% of respondents said that ensuring that others don't face the same issues in the future was either very important or important in their decision to complain. So being able to show that learning is happening is obviously vital if families feel that their complaint has achieved its purpose. Responses that don't feel meaningful can leave fam families obviously feeling very let down and frustrated. In one case, the PHSO had found uh, had had to follow up multiple times with the service because they weren't satisfied with the proposed action that they were giving. Where they had detailed corrective actions, they hadn't any plan to audit it, um, or, or these proposed new processes. So there was no way of knowing if these were going to be effective. So it was really a, a piecemeal effort uh, to try and and quieten the the, the furore down, really without making any real change or impact within the service. In one interview, the complaint detailed, I knew that all the things they said they were going to implement change wouldn't change the way the ward was operated or the way the nurses behaved or the way that the actual patients on the ward felt. It was all just more rules and probably more bits of paper for the nurses to fill in, but it's not translating to an effect on the ward.
So irrespective of whether changes were being implemented, the patient's perspective or the family's perspective of those changes was certainly um, not reflective of that. So with the, uh, the, the clinical failings and the compounded harm, there were a number of recommendations made by the PHSO. And a lot of those are a very high level strategic application for the NHS, but at a lower level, they certainly identified um, some recommendations that, that we can take learnings from. They talked about monitoring the quality of those local patient safety incident reviews, like really responding appropriately um, and, and looking at the systems investigation and, and addressing those at all levels, ensuring the engagement and involvement of the families uh, following a patient safety incident. The detailed monitoring compliance for a duty of candor being very important, that open disclosure, which is obviously very prevalent within our own services currently. They felt that there was certainly a requirement for extensive monitoring in that regard. They felt there was a requirement to further support advocacy arrangements, again, to support families of patients following a, an incident to be able to utilize the systems and processes that are available to them to try and get information and, and a greater understanding uh, when, when an issue occurs. They felt it was important that leaders and frontline staff need to be in no doubt of the priority that is placed on patient safety. And they felt that there was almost an acceptance that this is just the way things, how things are, you know, this is just part and parcel of the service that we provide. And they felt there was an inertia that was undermining the difficult work or was underway to try and change these cultures and manage patient safety more effectively. Um, obviously, the implementation of a workforce strategy, again, recognizing those issues um, in relation to the, the, the large number of, um, of, of vacancies that are within the service, you know, and that is, is recognized within the report also. Just a, a quote that came from the report, um, it is clear from our analysis of the most serious patient safety cases that there is a gaping hole between best practice and consistent real life practice. Although there have been significant developments in patient safety over the last decade, there is a, a concerning disconnect between increasing activity and the progress made to embed a just and learning culture. So with all of that in mind, how can HCI um, support and help uh, services that are out there, services um, that you're working currently? Well, one of those is completing a patient safety culture, really to try and get a handle on, again, something that we, that we looked at within the report about the, the, the mindset and, and trying to bring patient safety to the forefront um, of both le of, of leaders and staff throughout the organization and recognizing its importance and acting on the the, the feedback and responses uh, that are there. So that is one one of the elements or one of the, the approaches that can be followed. We complete uh, incident and complaint investigations against the HC incident management framework. Again, we do a lot of work across the board, across all of health and social care services in this regard. Gap analysis is also a, a, a useful tool to utilize. Again, looking at the broader uh, approach of the service against uh, the applicable national standards. Overall governance and systems review, as we know, all, all things start and end with governance. Um, so a significant approach to uh, identifying um, issues in relation to patient safety culture can be initiated through a governance system review. We also complete quality of care audits 
and we have quality information systems that are available to us that can support uh, all of the um, quality and safety uh, requirements across the service spectrum. And I know that Rosemary is very okay with all of those services and would be only delighted to talk to any and all of you in relation to all of those features that are available. And with that, um, I will bid you farewell this morning and I hope you have a good day. I think this is the last of our webinar series for 2023, uh, but we will be back early in 2024, hopefully with some more content that you would be interested in hearing.